It's your boy Mighty Joe. Welcome to another episode of the Patch Bay. Joining me today is a producer and mixing engineer who's worked on songs with artists like Bino Rideau, Demi Lovato, Lil Yachty, and that's just naming a few. I want to welcome to the show William Bender up. What's up? What's up, my man? How you doing, bro? Chilling, bro. Chilling. Hey, beautiful day today. Glad we finally get to catch up and uh, do this now. Yeah, man, for real, for real. How's, how's everything down in SoCal? Man, the, the quarantine started, um, and I just switched over to full mixing engineer mode. Um, you know, it kind of turned to a small blessing for me. 100% something that I want to ask you as as far as, you know, your, your different accolades and how you're growing. But I want to get started and actually just take it right back to the root as far as like what made you become what made you choose to be an audio engineer you know there's so many different things you could do on the music side and and you chose the 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 the, the craft of being an engineer yeah for sure i mean i've noticed a lot of engineers have all kind of the similar like a very similar story mm-hmm. um but i definitely didn't start as an engineer i just didn't like one day be like well that's a perfect job like i didn't even know what that was <laughs> like when i was just listening to music and trying to be like a producer uh-huh I, so I definitely was just like a beat maker at first. Like okay. I was like probably like 13, 14, 15 maybe around that age. And I was just making beats all the time. I thought that was the thing. I was like, oh, I'm going to be a producer for sure. Like this is definitely it. Right, right. But after a couple of years, I started to get super burned out from that. Mm. I just I just didn't like starting things from scratch. I got like kind of that creative rut and I was ever, never able to like kind of pull out of it for a minute. Gotcha. And while I was doing that, I was working with a friend of mine who was an artist mm-hmm. and, you know, being his producer at the time, yeah. you kind of also have to be an engineer, you know, when we didn't have big studios and things to go to. Right on. So I just started kind of YouTubing things and just, oh, we got to figure out how to make your voice sound a little bit better, bro. It's got to sound a little more crispy, got to sound a little more warm. Mm-hmm. So I just started looking into that kind of thing and I started really digging into the world of engineers. Yeah. And eventually I was just like, man, this is actually kind of cool. I actually enjoy this more than making beats. Um, so then I started like just becoming like kind of a recording engineer for some of the friends and stuff. But um, yeah, then I, I hopped over into the mixing world after that. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I just enjoy like I, I enjoy people bringing me their ideas and me able to like kind of add on to it. I'm not really the guy that likes to start the idea from scratch. That's not my way. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, we we definitely got a, a similar road. I was I was actually I started off as an MC. And I was always waiting for cats to make me beats. So I kind of, yeah, man. So I kind of got tired of it and I went and grabbed myself an MPC 2000 and I just started making my own beats. And then I remember one day, man, I was just, I think I was doing some telemarketing job and I'm in front of a computer and I'm like, man, I'm pretty good on computers. So I, I I told this one cat and he introduced me to this guy that went to Full Sail. And he was like, but but so before you decide with Full Sail, let me introduce you to this other guy that went to this other school. And then he introduced me to him, and I wind up going to this school called the Audio Audio Recording Technology Institute, which was a whole lot more economic and definitely helped me learn what buttons to press, man. And and that was pretty much, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, so. I, I definitely missed out on the school side of things for sure. I, I did I did go to college for like one year, and I literally fa- almost failed the recording one-on-one class uh. because I couldn't memorize the names of the microphones. I was just like, hey man, just show me how to make people's vocals sound cool. Like, I don't I don't care what a U87 is or a C100. What is like, what is this nerd stuff, bro? Like, just show me the cool stuff. And so I, I ended up just dropping out and I was like, I'll figure this out on my own. And that's, you know, 
At the end of the day, you know, experiences, even on my last interview that I had, I asked him, you know, do you think experience was the true teacher? And and he said 100% because, oh, man, you thanks. know, I didn't even have, I didn't have no SSL when I went to school. I, I learned on a Yamaha O2R. And, yep. and, it, and it was literally, and, and really where I gained most of my knowledge was when my first gig that I got was at Sam Ash. I was making like $250 a week, man. And I didn't know anything. Like I was scared to death. I was like, oh, damn. Yep. They're going to ask me a bunch of stuff. I don't know. But, man, I just stayed calm. And I, every time somebody asked me something, you know, if I didn't know it, I just went and did the research. And the more and more, man, I just started adding all that to the arsenal. And, you know, eventually and then I, the confidence I, builds up. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. And then you and then you actually get, you know, live and direct in the studio and you start to apply all of that as well. Man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so. I 100 percent the, the most knowledge I've ever gained from engineering. Like, no matter. I've, I've, I've been around so many cool people that have taught me so many dope things. Yeah. But at the end of the day, like the biggest way I've learned is just from just having terrible sessions with people uh, and just being like, oh, okay, so this is this is not how it works. It's always like my worst sessions is where I learn the most. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. I had a, you know, when I was first starting off, you know, I'd have a horrible session with somebody. You know, I'm trying to get the auto tune settings right. I can't figure out the key fast enough. I can't right. record fast enough. Oh, you know, this crashed. You know what I'm saying? And you start yeah. learning how to like maneuver because you can't teach strange situations. And you know, like being in a studio. Like anything can happen in a studio. Right. You never know what's going to happen. So you can't teach how to deal with these like situations that come up. But I think just having so many rough sessions in the very, very beginning, because I had no idea what I was doing, is what taught me the most. <laughs> I, w- I was actually going to ask you that. What was the, the biggest lesson that you learned while working on your craft over the years? And it's, it sounds like, you know, like you were saying, like auto tune and, and different things that you needed to dial in to really be able to get the artists what they needed. What was th- that's all that's all very true but another thing i i really learned yeah. and a lot of like more mature engineers i feel like understand this it took me a minute to, to get to grasp this concept but it, it doesn't almost really matter how good you are as an engineer mm-hmm. it really like it's such a people person job sure. like you have to just be able to like communicate with people yeah and you know being in the room and be able to talk to people and you have to be able to translate things that's it. you know every artist has a different language when they speak you know what i'm saying well, some, yeah. some dudes don't know what reverb is so they'll be like i want to sound like i'm in a, I'm in a hole and you got to understand that and the more you're able to understand that picked it up and translate their vision yeah and it's it's not so much about hey i'm almost i'm gonna bring my sound to the table I don't. I don't have a sound. I just. I click buttons. That's all I do. I don't. I don't do anything very specific to my sounds. You know. Of course, if something happens naturally, that's like, oh, you know, Will's mixes tend to sound like this overall. Understand for sure that that comes with you know just your own creative sure. ideas. But it's it's about like to me, it's not about trying to force your sound. I think the first and foremost thing is what is the artist vision? What do they want? Because at the end of the day, they got to carry around this record with their name on it, not you. Hundred percent. So you're just trying. And when I really when I started realizing that. It made sessions a lot easier because I, I really I wasn't, like, wasn't trying to push my way in there like, hey, let me try this, bro. Let me do this. Let me do that. Let me do this. It was more like, hey, man, right. what do you want? And then they would tell me, I'd like, cool. And that's when I started getting the most clients. And that's when I started working with bigger artists because they're like, hey, this guy's really here just to help me like, complete this. Take it to the finish line. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Take this like, you know, especially in a mix, you know, you get a, you get a reference track. You're like, well, it's like maybe like six or seven out of ten, but they want you to bring it to a ten out of ten. And so it's just your goal to like just you know take it and just run with it. Yeah. So I don't know. I would say that's definitely the biggest thing I've learned is kind of just really paying attention to what your artist wants. And basically, every song is so different, so you you have to approach every song 
differently. It's just you can never approach each There's one. No the cookie same. cutter solution. No, I definitely dig that. Yep. So, so you're 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 originally from from Fremont, California, right? Yes, sir. But you, yep. you're now now down in LA. So how how different are the studios and the artists that you work with in LA compared to the Bay? Um, I want to say there there's a pretty big difference. Mm-hmm. But if I'm being honest, I don't really consider. I never really considered myself a really true like professional engineer until I moved to LA. Um, I working in the Bay Area. I was uh, I worked at the studio called Street Symphony Studios in the Bay Area. Okay. And it was in Fremont, uh, right behind the where Tesla's at. Mm-hmm. Um, so I worked there for about I think it was maybe two, three years. But the whole time I was just kind of like the studio manager and like the second engineer of the spot because obviously I, I wasn't good enough. I was just you weren't ready yet. Hey guys, can I? I was not ready at all. So it wasn't until I moved to LA when I was finally able to quit. You know, all of my other nine to five jobs. I was working at In and Out and FedEx. It wasn't until I moved to LA I was finally able to quit those jobs and do music 100%. That's really when I like, that's when I had a major growth spurt in my music. So I do want to say there was a big difference, but also I didn't get the full experience in the Bay, I would say, just being a second engineer. But I would say the number one thing I've noticed the difference between working these places is, is for me, it was a lot of, it was money. Money was a big difference because everyone in LA's got somebody back in them. There's, there's, Someone's putting money in them. In the Bay, it's a lot of people coming out of pocket, which is dope, which is why the Bay gets, you know, that's why that music has such a dope sound to it. It's so different. The dudes are just making music for themselves. But for somebody like yourself that's trying to make sure that you can make a career out of what you're doing, that doesn't always work because it's just not consistent enough. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? So, and I'll always have love for the Bay. I work with Bay artists all the time. I love the Bay. You know that. But it's just, I, I, you know, I want to do this 100% full-time. Yeah. You know, I know plenty of people that have been able to do it in the Bay and do it full-time. But yeah. for me, it was a lot easier once I got to I'm L.A. Staying. And especially I had quite a few connections out here, too, that, you know, obviously gave me a little step sure. ahead. So I would definitely say it was mainly, I've noticed, there's a lot more artists out here have financial yeah. backing, which is just a lot more helpful for the engineers because, you know, you know, I got I to gotta feed the kid, man. Yeah, 100%, <laughs> bro. Like I said, man, definitely same. Very similar roads you know when i left new york and i was raising my daughter as a single dad i was in orlando for the first 16 years raising her out there and you know i I definitely did what i needed to do to keep myself growing in every shape way or form but i used to be the engineer for the for the nasty beat makers and nasty used to tell me all the time yo you need to go to miami you need to go to miami bro and it was it was nothing i could do at the time you know because i had to raise my daughter (laughs) but as soon as she got off to college man i went down to miami and that's when things really started popping off just because it was just there was just more traffic there was just more going on there was yes, you know you yeah. had cats like Khaled and all these other people down there that you know there was just more of a movement going on so I think I think that's that's mm-hmm. what LA is all about um and and I definitely can 100% relate to that man so I appreciate that yeah it's just it's this is like the entertainment capital of the world so it's right. just like there's just so much more work out here too there's so much more going on so it's like definitely and like I said that's not a knock on the bay at all like because the bay has become something so great out of being in that situation there's a lot of people just making music for sure. the culture they're not trying to I'm not trying to do this to get signed and make a million dollars and just like I'm just making music a lot of people making music for like fun and that's so dope and like a lot of times being in LA like you kind of start missing that sometimes like you definitely get lost in the label world and oh this has got to sound proper for radio and this has got to be the right tempo so we can play it and then you lose that so there's, there's pros and cons to both 100% <laughs> 
So now I just like, like, what what does that feel like to just, you know, you're at In-N-Out Burger one day, man, and the next day you're in major recording studios in L.A. Man, the, the jump for me was, I don't know, maybe it was just from my personal experience, but it was an insane jump. Yeah. I was working at like so I was working at In and Out for a little bit and I was doing like the early morning cleaning shifts. Right. So it's like I wasn't the guy serving fries and making the burgers and stuff. I was getting there at like five, six AM and we would like mop the whole place, you know, right. clean the grills, do all that. And then I would leave at around eleven or twelve PM and then go to the studio and I would just sit in the B room and make beats all day or like if I had a friend come by and you know, record him. Right on. So I was doing that for I think about a year and a half, maybe almost two years. And then I switched over to FedEx, actually. And just because I wanted to even have more time in the studio during the day. So FedEx started even earlier at like 2, 3 a.m. And I'd be done by 8 and I'd be in the studio at like 9. So I was doing that. And as soon as I moved to L.A., I transferred FedExes to the L.A. location. Mm. And so I moved out here assuming I was just going to keep working and grinding until I got here. And within the first month... um, I became an assistant for that guy, Eric Madrid, and was able to completely, you know, quit my job. And the first thing we worked on it was Super Duper Kyle's project. And then we're working, like, with Demi Lovato and Tanache and, you know, Offset and, like, all these big artists. And I'm just sitting here like, dude, last week I was mopping floors. Like, right on. what is this jump? So it was really insane, but it was also really dope because that's, you know... That's what people want. That's the and, goal. But that's the work you put in, man. That's the, you you took the sacrifice. You took the chance to to you know put yourself out there and, and travel all the way down to L.A., man, and to really set out on a goal you 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 know created for yourself in the beginning, and you made that happen, man. So yeah, and what's crazy too is I also think going back to your last point about the band L.A. too. This is specifically applied for engineers, maybe producers only. I don't know if this really applies to the artist world, mm-hmm. but I kind of feel like for me the Bay Area was kind of like the boot camp. Because no matter how dope you are in your own city, like if you're the man in your own city, right. the minute you come to LA, you got you're back at the bottom of the totem pole. You gotta build. It doesn't matter. You're like, oh, I'm, I was the man in Cleveland, <laughs> tight dude. Now you're in LA. Now you're with the big dogs. So right. yeah, you, you're back to the bottom. You got to work your way up. So my whole thing was, I didn't, I didn't feel like I was ready to move to LA. I was like, yo, I'm not that good. Right. I'm still an intern. But my thing is. No matter when I moved to LA, I'm gonna have to start from the bottom. So I was like, hey, I might as well start at you know 23, 24, right? And not wait until I got way old and be like, all right, now I'm good enough to move to LA. And then by the time I get there, it's like, well, I have to start the same place everyone else does anyway. So my thing was just, hey, let's just let's get it out the way. Let's get the you know. Yeah. Well, what what were some dues that you had to pay early on when you first got down there? So the first thing I got was I was an assistant for a guy named Eric Madrid. Right. Um, so Eric Madrid was an assistant to Manny Mariquin. Okay. Um, so this dude, he's an incredible mixing engineer. He mixed um, Khalid's album. Uh, he mixed like Location. He mixed I Spy for Kyle. Um, right. He's got all kinds of big records. Um, so I was I was able to be his assistant. And being an assistant super dope because, you know, you get to learn everything from this guy. He's literally like an unlimited book of knowledge just right there for you telling you if you have any questions about anything it's dope but you're not making a lot of money as an assistant and it's it's long hours my son was just born like within two months of working there so definitely the whole first year it was like we were living like really paycheck to paycheck to paycheck to paycheck with my newborn so it was stressful man it it was extremely stressful because i'm over here like kind of living like my dream over here but at the same time it's like when i come home i'm like man i'm gonna keep these lights on today like i understand so that you got became, responsibilities nevertheless exactly exactly but 
I gained all that knowledge and you know, me and Eric left on good terms. It was awesome. I left after a year. A lot of people were like, hey, you should probably stay like three, four years. And I was like, bro, I, I don't know if I can afford another year. I'm gonna have to go back to the Bay in right. another year. I can't yeah. keep doing this. Yeah, yeah. And no. luckily, because of the connection I made through Eric, mm-hmm. um, I ended up becoming Super Duper Kyle's engineer. Like mm. literally two months after that. And from then, I just kind of went the whole independent route. And you know, yeah. it's, a lot, it's a lot better now. I'm not, not falling or anything, but I'm, I'm in a comfortable position now to where it's not it's not as stressful as it was. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. you know, hey, everyone's got to pay their dues somewhere or another. So yeah, those were mine. That's a great road, man. That's a great road. So so I know you said that that you were uh, uh, an, his assistant. I saw a lot on, on a lot of your credits. It says mixing assistant. So what exactly yes. is your role when you're the mixing assistant compared to the mixing engineer? So the as a so I guess it depends on who the mixer is because I have a lot of friends that are also I have friends that are assistants to like Ali or friends that are assistants to Jason Joshua or something like that and so I know they all kind of work differently. Right. I can only speak for my current situation. So when I was an assistant, the type of things I was doing um, is at least in the world of like I kind of mix like this too, but. When we get files, we want them to sound exactly like the reference. We don't want to have exactly. to backpedal. You know what I'm saying? We want to get all the files. So the first and biggest thing I'm doing is checking all new mix files that get sent in. So I'm checking them all and making sure everything's there, all the effects are there that they wanted. It sounds just like the reference. So when we start, we know 100%, you know, we can, if we don't do anything, at least it's as good as the does, reference. Does that, real quick, I don't I, yeah, I, no, no, I, no, I don't mean to interrupt. I wanted to, it was something I was actually going to ask you after, but since you kind of bring it up, does it I know for me it does sometimes but when you get a reference or you know or the rough mix I should I should say sent over to be mixed does it ever throw you off because you're like does my mix sound better than this you know what I'm saying because it's like it's like you're trying to make it sound exactly like that but when do you really make it sound the way you're supposed to make it sound so does the the rough mix ever throw you off sometimes when it comes to it it does so I this is something just recently within probably made like last six months six months to a year I've been doing um I've kind of changed my whole mixing style so I I still take everything as a reference now like I'm like send it just like the reference but I've been going through it and if I hear a reference that's kind of rough that's like, ugh, yeah, I don't know about this. I, I will go back and be like, hey man, just send it dry to me. Let me let me do this whole thing from scratch. Right. But going back to that whole living in LA now type thing with these bigger artists and they have more money, the stuff a lot of times the stuff is coming in sounding incredible. Mm. Like these producers are in their room making incredible beats. Right. And they're sending to me, I'm like, I don't even need to do anything. Like I don't want I don't like the references it sounds incredible. You guys can put it out just like this, honestly, in my opinion. <laughs> so sometimes I'll get it and just be like Perfect. Reference sounds incredible. I'm not going to ruin this. But then sometimes you'll get it and it's like, if it's really rough and I think it's really just going to affect the overall song, yeah. I'll just, hey, just send everything dry, please. Depending on the the how you're supporting the session, do you approach that session differently? Like, if you're going to be the mixing assistant, if you're going to, I mean, of course, I know there's a there's an of course answer there, but... How do you how do you go into that mentally? Whether you're the mixing assistant, whether you're a recording engineer, or whatever you're, however you're going to support that session. So I would say that the two ways. Um, one, as as a mixing assistant, when I was when I was assisting, yeah. is my whole job is I'm trying to get into a place that the mixer wants it at. You know what I'm saying? Where Eric yeah. wanted it. 
Sure. I was like, as long as Eric is happy when he comes sits down, this is all that matters. Right but on. as a mixing engineer, yes. your thought is all that matters is the artist or the producer has to be happy. So it's just who you're working for. So as an assistant, everything you do is based around the mixer. You're just trying to make his life as easy as possible. You don't need to worry about making the artist happy or the producer happy. That's the mixing engineer's job. Are you to doing do any kind of mixing in that process yourself? Like, are you doing a rough, I mean, any kind of mix like on a certain set of instrumentation, maybe the drums or something like that, just to kind of kind of pre-get some things ready for the, so the mixing engineer? Sometimes, it, it, like I said, it kind of depends on the song. So a lot of times the songs, like I said, would just come in sounding incredible and we would just yeah. leave it as is. Sure. And then, you know what I'm saying, a lot of times I would do a lot of the effects. So he would have me go in and do all like delay throws, reverb throws. There you go. Things like that. But there was, you know, occasional times when the artists would be like, hey, we literally don't have the, like, you know, the reference stems. Like, we lost the session. All we have is these weird tries. And he would just be like, hey, man, like, I don't want to mix this from dry. Like, can you get it to a cool place? And then I'll step in and do, like, the mixing, mixing. And I was like, all right, cool. That happened only a few times. But when it happened, you know, that's your moment to shine. You got to be, like, ready. Those are the stressful ones when he's like, yeah, can you get these vocals sounding cool? Yeah, and it's like a big artist, and you're like, oh wow, I get to touch these vocals for the first time. Like, uh, this is crazy. Yeah, and I, and I mean, I'm at the same token. I'm I'm sure mentally, you're like, damn man, I'm 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 putting in all this work. And I'm kind of not even getting my shine for it, but at the end of the day, it's the experience that I need. So I need to be humble to that and just realize that this experience is more is worth more than anything at this point. Oh, for sure. And I think another thing that really helped me being an assistant yeah. is I was seeing all these big records come out, and I was like, well, I'm not really the one mixing it, so I'm not gonna sit around and post it and take credit for it. Like I really did too much. Right. But my whole thing was I was like, man, I've been out here in LA for two months, mm-hmm. and I'm already an assistant. I was like, I, like I, I didn't get in all my own works, but I, I got like three or four plaques in the first year just ah. based off being his assistant, just being tied to his name. Nice. And I would and I would meet people that were like, oh, I've been in LA for nine years and I haven't got my spot. I've been making nine dollars an hour, you know, being an intern. And I was like, wow, I got really blessed out in this position. So never once would I ever think like. Oh man, I'm not getting my credit. I was just always thinking like, well, I can't believe I'm here. Like, I can't believe I really get to do this. This is wild, you know? So I was just really just appreciating the whole moment. You know what I'm saying? And then, because yeah. in the end, like, once you fall from your own, you'll, you'll get your shine. Like, if you're good enough, like, that will come. That will come in time. You'll, you'll, you know, don't rush that. <laughs> It'll happen. Nah, that's dope. That's dope. So, so I know you, you said, you said earlier that you're, you're now engineering for, for the, this one artist. But are you also working at, do you work for a studio specifically? Do you work at multiple studios? Does it depend where the artist wants wants to work at that day? Yeah, so I, I right now what I'm doing, um, I don't work for a studio. I'm, com- I'm pretty much completely independent on my own. Like a f- I'm fully freelance essentially. Um, for when it comes to recording, um, I really only record for two artists that I'm tied to. So one is Bino. Mm-hmm. I only really record for him and then Kyle's the other artist and I only record for him like those are my two guys I record I don't really do much recording outside of that anymore yeah. um, I'm just not the, I'm not just personally I'm not really the biggest fan of recording sessions I'm not very good at sitting for long periods of time Yeah. so I work with these two because I we, we just have like a workflow now that like really is easy for me Nice. But then outside of that is then I'm completely freelance mixing and I have a, I have a home studio that I work at. And so that's where I do all my mixing at. Yeah. yeah so I mean, if, I, if I'm recording, I'm with one of them too. But if not, I'm at home mixing usually. And that's just those. It depends where I, where I get those clients from, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm under management uh, or a management group called Indie Pop. Mm-hmm. So they'll toss me a ton of mixes at times. So nice. Yeah, it's just it depends. Like I have a really random schedule. So I'll be I'll be at home for two months straight, and then 
I'm recording in random different studios, whatever they put for a month and a half. You know what I'm saying? So I just bounce around a lot. So in in the beginning, how, how valuable do you think it was for you to actually assist on those high profile records, you know, to be able to learn from experienced engineers? Oh man, that that was that's just experience like you can't game changer. get anywhere else because you can't, you can't find you know how to learn how to work with big artists until you actually get around them. Yeah, and it was such a game changer because one, I was really able to transform the entire way I mix mm-hmm. because I was like, you know, what I'm saying everyone's always trying to wonder like. How did the big guys mix? Well, I was right there just straight up watching it. So yeah. as I was seeing it that happen, I was like, all right, I can see how I can implement what they do into my workflow and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then another thing is I realized how to like communicate with bigger artists yeah. and bigger producers and labels and being professional and things like that. Because a lot of times before that, it was just the homies. Right. Oh, what's yeah. up, man? Like, come record me. Like, all right, cool. Like, it's your friends. And then, so this yeah. really taught me, like, you know, professional emails, sure. emailing labels, sure. getting your stems and your original sessions and getting all the passes to them on time and submitting invoices and PO numbers. And, yeah. You know what I'm saying? So and, yeah. uh, that was really cool because, like, right off the jump, I was able to learn about all that. So when I went off on my own, when I did get, you know, lucky shot, like, oh, I'm going to make something for a label. I already knew what to expect, what they wanted out of it, yeah. how they wanted me to send it, proper email templates, yeah. things like that. You know what I'm saying? So it was a lot of great information. You are now seasoned. Exactly. Exactly. Because yeah. if, if I would have jumped right to LA and got a big mix, I would have messed the whole thing up around the first jump. Yeah, I would have sent <laughs> an email like, what's up, guys? Here you go. Attach the MP3 to it. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that's funny. So is there, would you say there's, there's one person that you have to be thankful for that supported your development along the way? Oh, 1,000% my wife, no doubt. She is like the ultimate trooper. Um, In terms of just like supportiveness, um, she packed up five months pregnant and packed up and moved to LA with me and was like, hey, if you think you can do this, you think you you can do this, go for it. And I was like, I think I got this, let's do it. So 100%, queen of the world, no doubt. Peace and love to to your wife, my brother, right on. Appreciate that, appreciate that. Because it wouldn't have worked without her support, I know that for a fact. No way, no way (laughs) it would have worked without her. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in terms of the studio, um, there's definitely two people off top. So one was a friend of mine named Todd Cooper. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the first engineer I ever even really met. Right. And he worked at the studio at Street Symphony. Right. And so when I came along, he's already been there. He's already worked there for like eight to ten years at that point. And he was just about to move to L.A. Yeah. So I can I can imagine being in his position some young kid just like, hey, man, can I sit underneath you and just watch your sessions? He's probably like, nah, dude, like, get out of here. Yeah. But no, nah, he was super nice and he was like, yeah, man, come sit in. Awesome. Taught me things, let me watch the sessions. And then he moved to LA and another engineer replaced him named Curtis. Um, and same thing. He was completely cool. Like, yeah, man, you can sit in him. And we've all three of us have become really great friends. Bless and all of my basic, like, beginning engineer knowledge, yeah. 100% came from them. And I, I, I got to credit them a lot with my success. They, they were the ones that taught me like, hey man, speed's really important. Hey, use this, do this, do that. Like they just taught me all the ins and outs from the very beginning, which was just such a leg up on everybody else because no one else got, has engineers telling them. It's usually you're at school, you know, and someone's telling you like, hey, this is sometimes how sessions are. These guys were literally like, hey, just come right. sit in my session, just watch. So right. I was in eight, 12 hour sessions just watching them, like see how they work, see how they communicated with the artists, yeah. see how they interacted with the producers. And it just, it taught me so much. And they were just so cool about it. They were caught, and still this day, we're all like really good friends. Yeah. We text each other all the time, like, hey, listen to this, man. Hey, nice. what do you think about this? Like, what about this plugin? You ever heard about this one? Oh, that's dope, so, man. Yo, yeah, I got, I got, 
extremely blessed with the people that, you know, helped me come up. I never had anyone. I know people always like, oh, people hated on me coming up. Like, yeah. nah, dude, everyone was extremely supportive of me. And I, I'm not going to pretend like it was yeah. people hating on me like that. Right on, right on. <laughs> I, I saw you you assisted Eric Madrid on, on quite a bit of records. Would you say that that was somebody that really was was somebody to help you help you grow in, into where you are For right sure. now? Yeah. For sure. A hundred percent. Eric did. Eric was different in a sense, though, because when I met like Todd and Curtis, I was like straight like, hey, man, I'm just like the janitor in and out, basically. Like <laughs> I just sit in here with Eric. I knew a little bit more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But Eric is the one that I think that taught me the, the professionalism of the entire thing and taught me how to interact. And then he was like the one that was like, hey, here's how the big guys mix. Here's yeah. how we set up our stuff. And it was like, I mean, not everyone does the same thing. But, you know, it was kind of like a general overview of like, hey, this is the professional world of mixing now. This isn't just you and your friend's room doing it anymore. But it was just moving to L.A. and being like, okay, this is a little bit different from the Bay. I think he helped me with that entire transition. You know what I'm saying? Of like yeah. learning how to deal with L.A. artists instead. There's a, there's a difference for sure when it comes to dealing with a label versus just, you know, some dude that's kind of just coming out of pocket by himself. It's a much different world. Sure. I know when we first got started, and we've been talking about it a little bit, you said that you have graduated. When did that happen? How did you graduate from being an assistant to now being an official mixing engineer? Man, it was, um, it's, it's been interesting because it's still kind of in the process at the same time. Okay. Um, when I first left Eric's uh, studio working with him, right. um, I was kind of just like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I'm out here in LA. I've been an assistant this whole time. I haven't had a chance to meet too many, like, artists, like, for myself kind of thing. Yeah. Um, And right off the jump, luckily, I got a call from one of Kyle's managers who knew me as, you know, oh, hey, we knew you were Eric's assistant. We knew you recently, like, are no longer his assistant. Kyle needs an engineer, just a recording engineer. Right. And I was like, oh, for sure, sign me up right now. Yeah. So I started doing, you know, a lot more recordings with Kyle. And so people were seeing me, like, attaching me to his name a lot of the times. You know, like, oh, you're the Kyle's guy? Right, and so they right. didn't know exactly what I was doing. They just knew I was Kyle's engineer. So a lot of people would just hit me up on Instagram, like, hey, man, like, how much for a mix? How much for this? And I, I want to get into mixing, but it's, it's kind of hard to get into mixing if you're not, like, a recording engineer first, because it's kind of hard to make those connections, you know? Yeah, 100%. Um, so, yeah, so over time, just being attached to that name, a lot of people started hitting me up for mixes. And then, uh, you know, six months in, I meet this artist, Bino Rideau, right. start working on him, and he doesn't have mixing engineering. He's like, yo, I want you to start mixing all my stuff. So I started mixing his things, and then people were seeing that. And so it just really became like a word of, you know. And I'm sure that was all from the relationship that you built with Bino, that you you and him exactly. just vibed, and he was like, man, I, I messed with this cat, so I'm going to go ahead and see what he got. Yes, and it, it goes mm-hmm. back to the whole thing of him just like, I was like, bro, what do you want to sound like? Right. Like, you tell me. Like, I'm not going to sit here and try to make up a sound for you. Like, tell me what you really want to hear out of your own voice. Mm. And I think just the fact I wasn't, like, the kind of engineer that he was like, hey, like, I want just just take a ton of loads out of my voice. You know, most engineers are like, oh, yeah, bro, like, that's not a good idea. I was just like, hey, man, if that's the sound you want, let's do it. Right. And we did it, and it became kind of his sound. And, like, I think he was just like, all right, cool, this guy really, like, sees my vision. And then in return, he was giving me a ton of creative freedom. He was like, hey, man, like... Can you kind of build like a cool little vocal production style outro here? Can you do this? Can you do that? Right. And it became this cool, like just, you know, trust is based off everything when it's an engineer artist kind of thing. Like they got to trust that you're going to complete their vision, but also they got to trust you. Like, hey man, if I'm going to do my own little thing right here, like hopefully you'll like it. Let's see what it sounds like. And, you know, just, just trust me on it. I, I, I got you. I'm trying to make your music sound good, bro. I promise. Exactly. I think it's important, you know, 
we are definitely in, I guess you would say we're in the service industry because we're always helping yeah, others no as, as engineers. <laughs> but I think it is important for us to be able to enjoy what we do because even though they kind of got us on the bottom of the totem pole, we're kind of on the top because, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Like we put the Without finals. Without all crumbles. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? So so I do think it's important for the, for the engineer to be able to be enjoying themselves too and to be respected and not just be looked at as somebody that's supposed to just be you know a do boy you know that's one thing i've, I've never been I'm, I'm just not a do boy and I'm, I'm not a pro tools operator like i have my own craft thank you you know what i'm saying yep and 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 that's not going to help you too because one of the biggest things because I, I do like the recording process when it's the right artist i don't like to just exactly. record anybody in any shape way or form so i'm exactly I'm, I'm, I'm definitely right there with you but i think one thing that has made me valuable as an engineer is my rough mixes almost sound like they're mixed. So everybody's yep. like, damn, that's a rough mix. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's important to be able to to establish that as a recording engineer to because you can't, one thing I learned a long time ago is you can't give them some stuff that sounds dry or just has no vibe to it because nope. how, how do they know that they want to come back in the studio and keep working on the record if it doesn't yes. sound, you know what I'm saying? So you want to yep. kind of get it to as close as possible so man i've always said that the recording engineer is 1000 percent the most underrated creative job yeah, i feel man. like so many people think the recording engineer is like the technical nerd guy that dude that dude is setting the he's making 80 percent of the mix before he even gets to the real mixing engineer exactly like that dude like, made the record in yeah, the man. room at the moment I, I i give i give an analogy you know my job is you know as a, as a mixing engineer if you give me a lamborghini i'm supposed to give you back a shiny lamborghini if you give yes. me a hyundai though i can only give you back a shiny hyundai and that's just the way it is you know what i'm saying so yep, so yep. The, to, in my opinion the the mix starts in the recording a hundred percent so as you were you were growing like you said now you, you're dealing with labels what it what's your experience been like as far as how things need to be delivered and stuff like that because there are deadlines to, is it is it you know how is that experience though it's kind of honestly still the same thing when I when I was more of like the random one-off guy getting it it was more a little bit like hey get these files in now like come on we need these we need these but no but a lot of times like because I'm aware of what they're gonna need I have it ready for them most of the time so every time they hit me up like hey we, we need this by this deadline I've had it ready I just definitely think it's about being prepared like right. because they're gonna want things and when they need it they're gonna need it like immediately because they're trying to submit it placements and labels will be late with everything they don't they're never on time we're the ones that are always early they'll be like hey I forgot to tell you that we needed this instrumental two weeks ago, but now we need it today because we need to submit it by right. in 30 minutes. And you're like, you couldn't have told me two weeks ago. Right. You know what I'm saying? So I think a big thing, the best advice I could give anyone is just be prepared. Right if, if you know the mix has been approved, it's done, it's over to mastering, they just start printing stems right now. Just right. start making the clean version because they're going to ask for it and it's going to come up and they won't give you any time because right. they're just, you know, they have so many people to work with. They're just like, you're just another name in the, you know, in the book. <laughs> I think that's great advice, man. It's be prepared, 100%. What artist would you say that you vibe with the most where the process is just almost effortless with you guys? Um, I would have to go with Bino, for yeah. sure. Me and Kyle's process is incredible as well, but I don't always mix Kyle's records. Like, gotcha. Ali mixed Kyle's recent project. Mm -hmm. um, so that, that process, our recording process is incredible. But with Bino, I record and mix him. So that process is dope because when I record with him, it's... We just have it down. He's like, he likes to punch in each line by line. And so we've got to a point where we're really fast. 
and I'm the only engineer in the room. I'm usually always the only producer in the room as well because we're getting like the beats sent into us. You know what I'm saying? So the yeah. producer's not in the room. Of course. So I have all the files. And so when they're already like, hey, we want this mixed or we want to get this file, I have everything. I was the recording engineer and I'm right. not complaining about it. Hey, the recording sounds terrible, or the right. recording sounds, you know, trash here. <laughs> yeah. I was the one that did it, so yeah. I have it there the whole time. Right on. That's cool, man. That's cool. So, tell me about the collaboration process between you and, let's say, Bino, as far as the the mix goes. Oh yeah. Um, so Bino, but uh, one thing about him is he's really, really tied to reference tracks. Luckily, I'm the guy making the reference tracks. True. So that that is where that comes in, like super dope. Mm-hmm. Me and him will sit in the studio, like right after he's done recording the song, and I'm just gonna sit there and make and start messing with his vocals and doing this and moving things around. And sometimes I'll do arrangements and things like that. And he'll sit on my shoulder and just be like, you know, if he likes something, he'll be like, cool. If he doesn't like something, he'll be like, hey, don't do that, don't do that. Right. So we'll just go back and forth, back and forth. And then by the time they're like, hey, we want this mix. I don't have to do as much heavy lifting at that point because I did that in the studio with him. So then it's just going in there and, you know, really detailing, start really, you know, doing like real surgical EQ, things like this, you know, moving things around slightly, but nothing crazy. Yeah. Um, so it's dope in that process because all of it's done with him in the room initially, like all the big movements, you know what I'm saying? If I'm going to make a big, massive cut somewhere in the song, he, he's the one who's coming up with that. So I don't got to worry about doing that on the mixing stage. You're like, oh, hopefully he likes it when I send it over because he's just right there. So it makes it really smooth just working like that. Have, have you ever been sent, uh, a, a, you know, the, the reference by somebody and then went and didn't send the mix back exactly how, like maybe you changed the entire, maybe you changed the reverb or you added a different delay and they were like, and they came back at you like, yo, man, what'd you do? Or oh. more, were they on some old, man, I'm, I'm, I'm digging what I, you know, what you did instead of what we had. I've, I've literally had both. And I think it just yeah. depends on knowing your client. Um, so I've definitely had this situation where like I'll get a song I'm like man this snare's weak right. so I'm, just, I'm like doing all kinds of stuff to the snare yeah, like yeah. oh they're gonna love this send it back and they're like hey man we like the reference snare and I'm like okay my bad I'll just go turn out everything off I just did but then there's been times people will send me vocals and like they're just raw dry and they're like yeah I like the way they sound and I'm like no you really don't you don't know it you don't know it sounds good and because I know the artist has that trust with me sure. it's not some like you know it's not usually I do it on the first yeah. mix with somebody it's after a while but someone mm-hmm. I'm like just, just give me a minute exactly right. so I'll go in and redo it send it back to like whoa okay cool didn't know it could sound like that though you know right. what I'm saying so right. it's definitely I think it has a lot to do with no, like it happens less and less now Right. as right. I'm right. starting to learn the artists I work with like hey okay this guy gives me a little more free room yeah. Nope, this guy, he loves his references, so do no, not touch him. Right. He's just learning the artist. You know, I was I was Red Cafe's engineer for, what, four, four or five years? Oh, and, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Red would send me a record sometimes, or not even send me a record. I would literally finish, you know, recording him, and we would love the way we had it. But then when I got back to the crib and I started mixing it, I just heard some different things. Yep. And I oh, yeah. went in that direction, and I sent it back. He's like what the hell is that man <laughs> that's not what we had you got to go back to what we had i was like all right bro don't worry man you know i saved as so I oh, got, man. i'll yep. just go back to version three before you yep. <laughs> you got you got to save as every time you do something Damn crazy. right <laughs> that, that, that happened with Bino the, the, on his yeah. most recent project he just dropped it's actually kind of funny because i actually learned quite a lot from this this incident yeah he he was giving me these songs that we all recorded in the studio mm-hmm. and he was like hey just go ahead and do a mix on and go start mixing all these we're gonna put them out 
So I was going through and I was polishing these up. I was making them sound all clean, like little pop records. Yeah, I yeah. sent them back and he was like, bro, what are you? Ah, you took all and the warmth like, out of my voice. And I was like, I was sitting there, I was like, man, this sounds way better. And then I started listening back. I was like, actually, it doesn't. It sounds like a pop record. And these are not pop records. I was oh like, that God. grittiness, all that like high end that we added in for whatever strange reason like it made it work yeah. and so now that's kind of I'm still learning that like hey man Bruh. you don't need to polish everything some stuff sounds good dirty like that's the point yeah I can <laughs> totally relate man totally relate so do you feel more more connected to the mix if you recorded it as well or it doesn't really for matter sure. to you yeah you do to, to, me, to me it does yeah, and the reason too. why is because if I record a song and I really like that song I have like a whole little uh, section on my notes of right. all songs I've recorded or done like little demo mixes on um that aren't out yet that i'll just listen to just to kind of hear you know what they sound like and so i kind of get demoitis with the artists so we'll do we'll do the we'll do the recording and we'll listen to it for like a month and a half and i've been playing it all the time on my headphones and stuff and he's like all right let's mix it and i'm like man i've been listening to it for a month and a half like you have like i feel like the artist right now like now i have this real deep connection with this song like yeah. and now i don't even want to mix it because i'm so used to this version which is sometimes a problem but yeah, definitely when I record it, I get to sit on it for a little bit longer. And I think it makes me feel more like, wow, this is really like, I'm fully a part of this record. <laughs> and, and you remember that moment when you were actually in the studio laying it down because that's, yep, a, exactly. that's a connection yep. between you and the artist that's like no other. You know? Oh, so true, so true. And then just sitting there watching them, you know what I'm saying? Come up, like, come up, like, at least with Kyle and, you know, they, they usually aren't the types that come with, like, oh, I got some pre written lyrics usually. Right. They're the kind of guys that right are wearing soft vibes. So mm -hmm. it's cool watching the song be created. 100%. You get to watch the entire lyrics being written and everything in the same moment. So it's like, definitely you feel a little bit of a connection differently if you're the recording engineer, too. I know Red used to mess around me. He's like, come on, bro, I need you to write this next verse, man. <laughs> oh yeah, you know, as an engineer, every once in a while, you gotta have some lyrics on hand. I've had to, I've had to on, toss bro. some uh, some little alley oops to people I'm every ready. once in a while. Yeah, you damn right. <laughs> you damn right. Gotta hey, keep man, a bar that, or two in the back pocket. That, that's one of my strengths, though. I mean, not, I wouldn't say I did that with Red because he he was always kind of a master of his own process. But if an artist is stuck, man, and and you know they're trying to figure some stuff out, you know, being having started off as an MC, I'm able to be like, hey, how come? Why don't we maybe take this word out or or flip it this way, you know? And and the artist really appreciates that. So. Oh man, yep, yep. I I learned that quickly. Yep. If you if you if you have like, I mean, if if you, I told the engineers out there, if if you don't have any bars. Don't don't start throwing that out there. It's gonna make you look bad. But if you got some and you throw them out, they will definitely appreciate it if they're good. All day. And they will All use day. them. Right on. Uh, so you you mixed and mastered the record bet, and that was that for for Bino Rideau. Yeah. So what all goes into mastering that's different from mixing? And interesting you asked that because okay. um I I am I, I wanna just go ahead and get this on the record. I am not like a mastering a engineer. Fan. I'm not. I'm not a great mastering engineer. <laughs> I've been. I've been having to do it. Right. Because I'm just. I'm the guy mixing the project, and I know they like. You know what I'm saying? I sense. I. I'm. I'm a mastering engineer's worst nightmare. Like I. My my mastering engineer. Um. His, his name's Nick. Oh man, bro. I know he hates me, man. I send everything so loud to him, gotcha. just because I know artists love things loud. So on this record, I just I mastered it, quote unquote, mastered it myself for him just to hear it super super loud 
But then he just got attached to that sound. And I, he was like, hey, man, like, is this mastered? And I was like, I wouldn't say properly. Right. You know what I'm saying? I'm not going to compare myself to a real professional master yeah. engineer because they do right. different stuff. But I was like, but yeah, bro, this is definitely loud enough if you were just to put it out like this. And it, yeah, but at the time, this is like, I think this song was completely done before he had his label deal. So he was like, hey, I don't, I don't really want to go spend money on a mastering engineer. If this works, then let's do it. And it worked. And then from that point on, like, I've just been mastering his things as well because now I'm just, he's just like, hey, I like the way you make it loud. It's, right. it's a different sound. And like, we've kind of like, I know how loud he wants it. I know what he wants to hear on his master, essentially. So as much as I mastered it, I don't want to sit around and claim I'm like a real mastering engineer and disrespect all the real mastering engineers. But yeah, I definitely master for him. Gotcha, you know what I'm saying? Because gotcha. he likes that sound that I do on it. Do you just, do you bring the two track back into Pro Tools and just do your process there? Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I, I wait till he approves the mix and then I'll take that two track in and go back in and do like a whole new master on top of that. So we, we were we were talking about some of your credits before. What was, and that's always a fun and exciting thing, especially when you get your first credit ever. What oh, was your sure. first credit you ever got that you was like, yes? Okay, for sure. Um, so I definitely had um, some cool credits in the Bay Area, but a lot of stuff, like any of the cool stuff in the Bay Area I worked on, never really came out unfortunately like i worked with little b one time in the bay and that was such a cool thing for me but uh -huh. i don't the record i don't think ever even came out, out right. so the first big record i really kind of got was working with eric of course and we did um we did this song called cocky for um the uncle drew movie and it had asap rocky on it 21 savage nice gucci man on it and uh, maybe two chains i don't know who it was but it was like these, like the Mount Rushmore of like modern day, like just like the top rappers. And it was like the first song I worked on. So when that thing came out, I was so proud. I was like, look at this. Like, of course I was just the assistant, but I was so proud of that. Cause I was, was just so many big rap names on like my first attempt around. So that was like, that was dope. But I also had a record in the Bay. I forgot, I forgot to mention this. I can't forget this. I did a record for Young L. And you know, if you're from the Bay, anyone from the pack, that's a, that's just cool to have that credit. So I mixed a song for him called Baller Blocking. And I was very okay. proud of that one because I was like, this is a young L. Like, he's a pillar out here. He's a pack. Like, he's the guy. <laughs> if they didn't hear it before, they're going to hear this interview and they're going to go check it out now, man. So Hey, and that's it. Hey, I was very proud of that mix. So so you you also, you were talking about that you, you got a couple of plaques. Who were those plaques from? Um, so a lot of my first plaques were all because like I said when you're when you're the assistant like you get tied to whatever the mixer does gotcha um, so I know I got a plaque the first one I ever got was for Light of Mine which was Kyle's project that I worked on with Eric as an assistant um, so I got that one that's dope um, and then I think two of his singles also went gold or platinum um, and then I think we did I'm not gonna lie when it came to the plaques as an assistant it was super cool to me to get them but I never went out and bought them I don't have any of them physically my whole goal was like i'm not gonna go buy that plaque and like hang it up in my house and be super proud of it until i get this on my own right. you know what i'm saying yeah so that's how i felt and there's, there's a couple things that are coming up that I, I i'm pretty sure are right about to hit gold pretty soon awesome. um so and you that, know that's happens, like an actual mix that you did oh yeah exactly 100 awesome. percent thing i did it's, it's quite a few and it's just like they're almost there and it's nice. right at the edge so yeah, so once once that one, once those come in, then I'll go get all my assistant plaques. But I kind of want the first one yeah. to be like really proud. I wanted that to be me. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I don't know, it was maybe it was a little pride thing. But I was like, I don't no, want to have the first plaque and be like, oh, I was an assistant for this one. Like, that's cool. But 
I wanted to get the first one on my own. I love so, it. I love it. Yeah, yeah. What? But yeah, I got I got quite a few with Eric. And it, it was definitely cool to like right. just be able to say you have them. Like that's you know you're a platinum engineer. You know that's that's a right. cool little thing to say for no, sure. But now it's next level. Now you're getting exactly. ready to turn the corner again. No, that's, that's exactly. great, man. I, I love to see the growth. So you, of course, you know you're you're constantly working on music. So do you sometimes need to disconnect and just clear clear your head and regroup? Oh, for sure, hundred percent. I'm I feel like I, a lot of producers, engineers, artists like there's a type that's like, oh, I live in great music. Like all I do is there's like days I'll go like three to four days without listening to a single song. It's like I'm on vacation, you know what I'm saying, or chilling and not not working. And it's not like, oh, I hate music. I just think sometimes it just becomes there's just an overload of too much musical information. Sure. And I'm just, I, you know, it's just too much. And so when it comes to mixing, like, there's got to be that give and take. It's got to be, it's still got to excite you when you want to do it. So if I'm just always music, 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 man, dude, working after a while is going to get kind of a bore. So I like to take a step back from it and jump right back into it. So I, I, I love basketball. During the quarantine, I went out on a basketball hoop. So I've been like hoping. That's what I do on my in my on my mix breaks. I'll go mix for two hours and I go hoop for an hour. Then I go mix for two hours and hoop for an hour. Nice. Uh, so yeah, definitely that. I've noticed like I mean, it's like probably just a regular thing for all people to do. But yeah, I I'm working out just trying to be healthy. Like that helps because as engineers, you're in the room so much, just sitting down. Yeah, and it just you you're not moving a lot. Stay so I noticed like a lot of working out and exercising has really helped me. You know what I'm saying? Kind of just stay focused. And like get that little break and get my energy directed elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's, that's awesome, man. And, and I'm I'm with you too, man. Like I I think I'm kind of done doing on on. A, I've kind of been on that for a minute, where I'm just not into recording anybody anymore. For one, I think I think the money kind of ruins the 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 creative process. You know, so and if you're working with somebody that's already struggling, you know, if you're working with a label, it's a different story. You know, you know, there's a budget there or, or just somebody that's got backing. You know, there's a yeah. budget there. But if you're dealing with an average cat, they're trying to, you know, stay above water themselves and you're trying to stay above water. And now the money almost becomes this conflict that ruins the project from jump. So, so true. That's you know why you like, if you're going to work with someone that has doesn't have a big budget like you as an engineer, needs to really be like you have to want to be a part of this project you know what i'm saying like this has like if you're gonna you know actively be like all right this guy doesn't have a budget but i want to work with them make sure you believe in this project before you do it because what's going to turn into is just going to turn to a headache of just having like oh i'm not getting paid enough to do it but if you believe in the project then it's gonna be okay you're like i'm not getting paid as much but i believe in this i know what's going to become of this you know yeah and that's where it becomes really cool and i have a couple clients like that that they don't have that budget but I like I literally like I respect their music I respect them and I really believe in them and I'm like hey you know maybe one day you will get a budget and then you'll be able to pay me but until then like let me help you grow because Definitely. I, when I was a producer and when I was helping work with artists and stuff in the Bay Area and I was a young kid that had no money like I know how that is like I know you guys wish you could pay me more but you can't so let me help you out like I'm totally for like helping like the you know the people that don't have a ton of money out because that's that's dope to me no no doubt about it um so what what would you say is is your ultimate goal though you know what's what's end game for you Hmm, good question originally my my whole ultimate goal was i just want to be like i just want to be able to do music full time and so that happened so quickly i was like all right cool well that was easy that was you know what was it easy but i had that so i've been thinking recently like what is what is my next goal and i think what it is right now currently because i I try to think too far out because i'm just like 
I'm, I'm only 25 years old, so I'm still really young. I'm like, I'm going to be thinking a whole different way by the time I'm 30, by the time I'm 35, by the time I'm 40. I'm going to have different, you know what I'm saying? I'm going to have different yeah, life different experiences by then. Sure. Exactly. So I don't like to think too far out. I mean, obviously, I, I don't want to, I don't think about the future ever, but I don't try to think too far in advance because I'm like, eh, I might have a whole different, because five years ago, if you would have asked me where I want to be as an engineer, right. it wouldn't be where I'm at right now. It was something completely, but through life experience, I, was, I became like, I don't want to work with as many big artists. I just want to work with cool people. You know what I'm saying? Like just cool, nice, creative people. When it Definitely. used to be like, oh, I just want to work with big people. Right. So yeah. I would say my goal right now just is just really kind of to hone into my mixing. Trying to make mixing like my big thing. Because a lot of people still out here in LA know me as like a recording engineer. Um, and I kind of like right now I'm in the transition of like, hey, I, I kind of want to get like basically switch over my business to like 80-20. Like 80% of the time mixing. You know what I'm saying? And right now it's kind of 50-50. So I think my goal right now is really just to get more into the mixing world. And maybe get a Grammy or two. Hey, why not? Add that on over there. <laughs> as long as I get paid, I'm good. Heck yeah, brother, man. No, that's super dope. So you, this is actually on a little bit more of a somber note, but I wanted to make sure that I, I recognize this for you. So you recently lost a good friend of yours. His name is Anthony King. So there's a, a GoFundMe page set up for him if you wanted to let people know, you know how they can go donate. A hundred percent appreciate it. Yeah. Of course. What's funny about him is he was literally the guy that would do cleanup with me in the morning at in and out So it was literally just me and him every morning. And like he always supported all my music stuff. And he was like incredible dude. Taught me like a lot of lessons because he was older than me. And in and out was my first job. So he's like incredible dude. Rest in peace, Anthony King, my bro. Uh, but yeah, he has a GoFundMe. It's attached. Uh, the link is in my bio, my Instagram, which is just at William Vendra. Um, all the proceeds go to the Colin Kaepernick Know Your Rights Foundation, okay. um, which he was super, like, super supportive of. Um, so yeah, if, if you can, go donate. Um, right yeah, on. rest in peace, my boy. I appreciate that. Right on, brother, man. Of course, rest in peace, 100%. So last thing I want to I wanna finish it up with, man, is I just want to open the mic up for you. If there's anybody that you want to shout out, anything you want to promote. Man, um, I want to give a quick shout out to, you know, my boy Curtis and Todd and Eric, all three of them for always. I was telling you about them earlier. Like, yep. they're, they're, they're the, like, the whole reason I'm, I'm even where I'm at as an engineer. So shout out to them. Um, go grab Vino's new project outside. It's out now. We're working on the album next, so... You know, more good music to come. But other than that, that's that's pretty much all I got, my guy. So I want to thank my amazing guest, William Bender. He is an upcoming engineer, as you've heard, a cat that's grinding on a daily basis. And this is an amazing interview. He definitely shared a ton with people for ones that are maybe there, that are trying to get there. Make sure you go and follow this cat, man, because he's one of the good ones out there. And I appreciate everybody tuning in to this episode. As always, stay safe, stay strong, and keep loving your heart, everybody. It's the Patch Bay. Deserve. Yes,